Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. From the Ubuntu Sprint, it's yet in Washington, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalias. So good evening to you all. Delighted to be here. Another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicking off this hour. And we are in Seattle, Washington, and we are live. We are here. We are invited by Canonical to come to the Ubuntu uh, Ubuntu Sprint, where they are talking about snaps. We haven't talked about snaps a whole lot on the Ask Noah Show. And so hopefully what we're going to do while we're here is get some of the people that make snaps happen, the people who can explain snaps the best, and bring them on the show to explain them to you. That's probably coming up in a future episode of the Ask Noah Show. Now, last week, I dragged my own show off the air. <laughs> and if I'm being honest, uh, I took it a little further than I, and a little longer than I had really wanted had intended to. And here's what I found out. If you want to generate some really good, honest feedback... Go on the air and call some posers out, and <laughs> you'll get it in spades. And so many of you went to asknoahshow.com slash better, and most of, you, uh, most of you were inspired and energized, um, but some of you were off-put by what I said. And again, asknoahshow.com slash better. Uh, it's anonymous, and so I couldn't respond to you there, but I just wanted to clarify a couple of things, because I, I think that some of you misunderstood what I was getting at. Now, if you're mad at me for what I said... And for what I meant to say, that's fine. But if we have a misunderstanding, let's clear it up. So first of all, I don't care what your platform is. If you have a question, give me a call, and I'm more than happy to help you. Because, because above all of this advocacy stuff, above all the Linux stuff, we're all human beings. And I like to solve problems first, right? I offered to paint. I'm sitting across from a guy. I offered to paint his room because I like solving problems. The problems it comes up, I want to solve it. And if you believe that Windows is a superior operating system, that's an okay thing. If you believe that macOS is a superior operating system, that's an okay thing. I have plenty of friends that are on various different operating systems. We can be friends. That's all right. Every operating system has its advantages and disadvantages, and Linux is no different. Now, I can't come on the air, and I can't say that Linux is a perfect operating system, uh, and it does everything exactly the way I want it to do. God knows I was struggling with a couple of things just preparing for this very show, but what I was getting at was that you can't say those things about Windows or Mac or iOS or Android either. What the Ask Noah show set out to do years when we started and what we, could, what we intend to do for years is, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. Our lead-in, the Linux Unplugged program. In fact, actually, I could go back and I could say this about the entire Jupyter Broadcasting Network. We are passionate people that set out to be the place that you can come as a Linux enthusiast. If you are a person who says, I own a business, I run a company, and I want to use Linux for all of those things. And I want to do all the things that you're doing on macOS or Windows. I want to accomplish those same tasks, but I want to do that on Linux. Will you help me? Is that an okay thing to do? This is the show. This is the network where that's okay. And for years, I attended conferences where I got the sideways looks, where I had to feel like I had to justify my, my, my choice of operating system, where I was embarrassed because I was using, you know, the, this off-brand thing that wasn't as quote-unquote good as as the big boys because I didn't fit in I didn't I didn't I didn't conform to the norm and this is the show where you're not judged by how new your hardware is or how close you conform to the industry standard it's you are the Linux user you are the norm this is the show where the most configured distro is the new status symbol of choice now if you want a game you might have a better time on a Windows machine. Because that that's what Windows does. If you want to, you want iMovie Pro, sometimes known as Final Cut Pro X. That's you better get a Mac because Linux doesn't run that. Uh, and so saying that Linux is better at running either of those two pieces of software that would be a lie. But that brings me to my second point of clarification. That's not to say that you you can't edit 
video on Linux. That's a false premise. And I actually had the opportunity to sit down in a in a editing studio and work with a couple of editors that had switched from Final Cut Pro to Premiere. And he was showing me some of the differences of how you can set Premiere up to kind of work around your workflow as 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 opposed to Final Cut Pro. And basically you what he said to me was, he said, with Final Cut Pro, you have to edit the way Apple thinks you should. And I brought that up to a good friend of mine that does a lot of editing on Final Cut Pro. And his answer was, I guess I just like to edit the way that Apple wants me to. And that's an okay thing. Um, you know, so all, all that said, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to drag it down, you know, a second week in a row, but suffice to say that I'm perfectly okay if you prefer a different operating system. All I'm asking you to do is, A, be honest about it. Don't tell people, well, you should consider X. But for me, I have to use Y because I'm special. Or B, a man with experience is not at the mercy of a man with an opinion. My main point that I was trying to communicate was that if you're looking for guides, for tutorials, for something on Linux, take the time to do the due diligence to make sure that the people that you are taking Linux advice from are actually using Linux. They're not part-time VirtualBox users. And that's really, uh, I'm going to leave it there. But uh, thank you very much for the feedback. And again, if you have feedback, asknoshow.com slash better. Phone lines are open, one 450 noah That's one 450 The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Again, we're live from Seattle. And this week, I'm excited, excited to say that this is the first time this has ever happened. I've, I've, I've had, we've done an episode with Chris, and I've done a couple of episodes where I've had in-studio guests. But this is the first time I've had two other people that are co-hosting the show with me. So my, my friend Chris, my hey. boss, and my, hey. my friend Wes from the Linux Unplugged program. Hello, sir. It's great so, to be here. Yeah, so you guys invited me to hang out with you on the Linux Unplugged program, so now you guys are going to join me on the Ask Noah show. <laughs> it's only fair. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right, I want to start this hour off with an email that came in. Um, let's see here, get over to that one. He says, Noah, I wish I had time to call your show today, but I didn't. I was curious. I almost have my mother-in-law on board with Linux. But she uses TurboTax, and she can't live without it. Mm. Now, I don't want to complicate things for her, so that rules out something like a virtual box. But does Linux have any sort of TurboTax replacement? She said the web-based TurboTax doesn't have all of the features you get with the installed program. I don't know, so I have a platform uh, I have a platform to argue that I don't have a platform to argue that point. Thanks. Well, um, uh, Corey, I, I guess uh, from my experience, I do my taxes in TurboTax, my personal taxes, as well as my business taxes. Now, a disclaimer with that, I guess for my business taxes, we do have an accountant on staff, and she you know, collects things, puts things together, and generates some reports for me. Sure, yeah. But all the actual taxes are being done inside of TurboTax, and I have been able to get all of that stuff done. However, when you go to use the web, uh, the web program... I wasn't able to sign up for it online with just that account. I had to actually go to a store, buy a boxed copy of the advanced TurboTax, and then take that, they give you a little code, and you open up TurboTax in the web thing, and you enter in that little code, and that is how you, and that, that, that's how I unlock the rest of those features. And I don't know if that, it, it depends, you didn't specify exactly what your mother-in-law is, is trying to do, but if that may solve her problem. And I can tell you, I have a, you know, as the owner of a small business, and then, you know, now with the Ask Noah show, I kind of have a, I have a small business and I have a subsidy of the small business that's kind of the community branch, but it doesn't really generate any revenue, but we funnel a lot of money into it. So it creates this kind of complicated tax thing to begin with. So I feel like if I can get my taxes done in, ter- in TurboTax, you know, the web thing, everyone can. Yeah, someone with the simpler, simpler needs. Yeah, you'd no think problem. so. So uh, give that a shot, Corey. Tell me if that works uh, and get back to me if it doesn't. If it doesn't, just, just uh, write me back and just say, hey, you know what? Uh, this is what my mother-in-law is trying to do. And... And uh, and and if I have you know specifics to look into, I'll I'll take a look at that. Again, the phone number one eight five five four five zero Noah. That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow dot com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. Now, I coming or actually, let's go over to the phones. Who do we have here? Um, Jordan, West Virginia. Hey, Jordan. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi. How's it going? Excellent, Jordan. How can I help? Yeah, um, so I've been using Photoshop for about the past five years. Um, I was thinking about switching over to Linux. Is there an alternative? Yeah, actually, there is, Jordan. The, uh, the, the most direct alternative to Photoshop on Linux is going to be a program called GIMP. 
and that's that's short for the GNU Image Manipulation Program. And the, here's what's really nice about uh, GIMP and Photoshop. One is actually a lot of people have gone away from Photoshop. A lot of the people that I, I knew that used to use Photoshop for a lot of things have actually gone to Adobe's program, which is Lightroom, and we have a very competitive alternative on that on Linux called Darktable. So to a certain degree, Jordan, it kind of depends on what you want to do. But if you want to actually edit photos, if you want to, you know, if you want to tweak like the white balance and you want to add some effects and stuff like that, uh, Darktable is really not a bad way to go. But GIMP is, is kind of the go-to alternative. Now, one of the nice things about doing a show with other people is you get other recommendations. So Chris just handed me this program called Pinta. Yeah, I think it's Pinta. Pa- painting Made Simple. And so this is an open source program for drawing and image editing. Yeah, it's more equivalent to like paint.net on Windows. Okay. So if you don't need all of Photoshop, but you need something in between. So this would be maybe more for if you're, if it, like, so for example, your mother does a lot of graphic design. Mm-hmm. So if you're creating something from from scratch, essentially, yeah. you're not starting with an image, right. which is something that people do in Photoshop. Yeah. You could still use this to modify and adjust images, though, because it's pretty good at uh, it. Since it has layers, like if you want to go in there and make like one area a little brighter or fix the exposure in one spot, Mm -hmm. this is really good at that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, Photoshop's tough in particular because it gets used for so many things. It does. On the Linux side, we kind of have yeah. one program that replaces a component. A right. Yes, component. Yes. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll throw in another thing. One of my favorite programs on Linux, I don't talk about it enough. I really should talk about it more. We should do a whole episode on it. In fact, we should dedicate a whole year of episodes to it. It's that great. It's Inkscape. And what Inkscape is is a scalable vector graphics program. And what that allows you to do is design graphics. So, And, in fact, it's interesting because we're actually going through this right now um the next year is the next year is uh is coming up uh, the next year that's coming up we're going to be redoing the ultra speed logo we're going to be coming up on oh. our ten, yeah we're going to be coming up on our 10 year anniversary and what's uh, what's exciting about that for me is <clears throat> i have bore a lot of of brunt uh, for the <laughs> for my choice on the on the on I the like logo. that mouse it's nice yeah well and so you know what the thing is people talk about it chris and so yeah. there is no such thing as bad publicity and so i think what we're going to do <laughs> we're going to do a couple of things <laughs> i think the first thing we're going to do is we are going to have a a contest or something get the community involved oh. to design a new logo but then the second thing i think that we're going to do uh is uh take that is is take that logo and try to tie a lot of that i want to keep the same roots of the logo so I have still something to talk about yeah, right. and then I want to kind of morph it in and maybe during that time once we decide who it's going to be or whatever I'll go in and tell the entire story of how that logo came to be because it's actually it actually is kind of a funny story hmm. Michael is calling from Ohio hey Michael welcome to the Ask Noah show hey Noah first time calling I've uh, been listening to the show for a little bit now and hey, uh, appreciate one it. of the things that I had happen was uh I, re- I run a uh, Amazon. I rent a small instance from Amazon Web Services to run some uh, various mm. u- web server utility and other utilities for myself, the dynamic DNS and uh, a couple other things. And uh, I recently logged in, noticed the terminal was running well, was was running slow and laggy, and pulled up HTOP, which revealed two uh, processes running uh, that. Uh, which a fi- which running find on the root directory found under a hidden directory, um, and they were taking up one hundred percent of the CPU. And it looks to have been uh, somebody got in and put in a uh, cryptocurrency miner. So, wow, uh, dude! I'm not entirely sure how. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't. Here's the so, thing. I don't mean to. I don't mean to. I don't mean to blow. I, I know you're. I know this is probably not a great thing for you, but like, this is a. I mean, at the risk of sounding like a total jerk, this is a really cool call to take. Yeah, it is great because you you do read about this all the time. We've covered this. I've never talked to anyone that's had this happen. I'm sorry. That wasn't even my question. I was just giving the backstory. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, well, it's I, a great I backstory. That, uh, you got my attention, man. You got my attention, man. <laughs> well, yeah, and it was it was surprising to me. It was also the, a bit of an ego pit because the first time I've ever had something like that happen. But I, I honestly yeah. don't know how they got in. I think they uh, brute forced the password on the default EC2 user account. Um, because I was being lazy and I, had, I disabled the key authentication. Hmm. Uh, but uh, and, and it, I did run fail to ban, but the password was only six characters long. So anyway, uh, so that was that was you know my my fault. You know anyway. So I, I, I mean I, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, yeah, just a, oh, just a short thing on password security. Short thing on password security. I, um. 
you know, I, I, so not to not to go too far uh, out of this, and I'll let you get your question out, and then we'll talk about it. But you know, when it comes to password security, first of all, twelve characters and capital letter and a special character is, is really a great way to go. But honestly, that's a lot. Even a six character password, unless it's like one two three four five six or A B C D E F G or something, that's a lot of effort to gain access to a random you know droplet just to. Uh, just to do some cryptocurrency mining, I, I would think that you know the fact that you set a password at all and, and had failed to ban would would alleviate you from a lot of that. So I guess that kind of surprised me. But if there's anyone out there who want recommendations, my recommendation, my minimum is twelve characters, couple couple ace characters, and a couple special uh, characters. Anyway, go ahead, Michael, with your question. Well, anyway, I, yeah, it surprised me too because but now I'm running all key the key based and everything too. Anyway, um, what I was going to say was uh, the um, I have a I I shut down the instance, pulled up a new one, and reattached that storage volume to my new instance for mounting so I could pull some Good. configuration files and such. And mm. uh, what I wanted, I wanted to ask is, do you know if there's any risk of having hidden non-principal characters in a terminal shell that I will miss when I'm doing a manual review of the files to ensure they've not been tampered with? So is the question the risk being like, script breakage primarily? Well, well, what I'm worried about is I'm, I'm going through all of the files that I'm pulling off the old one to the new one because they've got a lot of custom stuff. And wow. I wanted to make sure that you're not going to get like a non-principal ASCII character that's hiding it, that might have that might be hiding a embedded script in the document that comes through as I'm copying these mm. files that I might miss. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I mean, the one thing you have on your side, of course, is you could always sanity check the modification date of the file. And if it doesn't match the installation date of the software package, you have a pretty good idea that it's been touched. I doubt that's a strong possibility, to be honest with you, because mostly what you're really going to need to be, to be damaging is you would need something to execute that script. Right. Right. Yeah, so you, you would as long as you're not, if you're curious and you're, and you're unsure about it, as long as you're not arbitrarily executing them and you check the modification date and you know the other thing you could always double check is check the permissions make sure that everything's right there uh I, you'd probably be pr- pretty safe because the, the only other thing you could really do is something that would check like the checksums of the files but you'd right. have to have good known checksums first yeah, yeah. And, well then that's the whole premise of something like tripwire right is yes, that you're you know exactly. you're, you're monitoring ahead of time and then checking for differences but yeah thanks michael for the call i really appreciate it because like i said i I've, i don't know if i've i don't even know if i've known anyone that's, no, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. Either one of you. <laughs> well, I've definitely read, and I've heard of people that, like, uh, I just recently saw a story that uh, people that were buying ads off of the uh, Google uh, DoubleClick ad network yeah. mm-hmm. were getting crypto miners embedded. And we've talked about stories on TechSnap where people are using, like, website cross-scripting vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and whatnot to get crypto miners on there. But I don't know if I know anybody personally. Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. That's he's the first. Yes. <laughs> anyway, if you have a crypto mining story, I'd love to talk to you. One eight five five four five zero no one eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Another Michael. Michael teleported into Ohio and is calling back. Hey, Michael from Ohio. Oh no no no! Sorry sorry I, I'm sorry I grabbed the wrong one. Uh, sorry. You can, always, you can always have more Michaels. Yeah, we can always have. See, that's the problem. We have multiple Michaels. It's difficult to figure out. Okay. Michael, uh, he didn't Hello. get his location. Hey, Michael. How's the other Michael? How's it going? Hey. Hi, how's it going today? Excellent. How can we help? Yeah, so um, I have a suspicion um, about a friend of mine. He's been using uh, Linux for a while, and um, what happened was is uh, he kind of like, he's been doing some weird stuff, and um, I heard like people use Linux to hide like their child pornography and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that, you know, I mean, here's the thing. There's, I, I think that there's, every operating system has malicious users and people that are going to put stuff in bad places, right? And, you know, actually, it's funny because for Multispeed Technologies, my, my day job, I actually, I actually take a lot of time uh, where we have computers come in and people say, did my husband do this? Did my wife do that? And, you know, that, let me tell you something. It's no joke. I mean, there's going to be some people out there that are, that are going to be laughing right now. It's not funny when you have to look at, uh, at, some other, at, some, at some, you know, poor woman or some poor guy and say, yeah, your, uh, you know, your significant other is, is mm-hmm. you know, is engaging with other people yeah. and, and here's the evidence of it. it that's, it's not a fun thing. So, um, so that's not a joke, and and that happens in every operating system. That happens in Windows. That happens in Mac OS. That happens in Linux. So, as far as where to find hidden data, to a certain degree, if you have access, physical access to the computer, the users of the computer are going to put that data, you know, wherever they so choose. And uh, and so, as far as where to find that or where to look, 
I don't have a good answer. There isn't really a good answer for you. You know, it's kind of funny. If you see a lot of subfolders, if you see, like, if you see inside of the documents folder, there's another folder that says other stuff, and inside of that, et cetera. Especially with generic names like that. And inside yeah. of that, mm-hmm. my stuff, and inside of that, photos, and inside of that content, that's a pretty good indication you don't want to go any further. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> as I, that's, that's about, I'm sorry, Michael, I can't give you a better answer than that. one 855 450 no 855-450-6624, the email live at asknoshow.com. com headline, Apple HomePod. Well, we've waited a little bit for this one, haven't we? But Apple's HomePod is nearing a release, and we've managed to get our hands on one for some extended period of time for testing it out and listening. Sadly, we weren't able to take photos not extensively handle the units that, show, uh, that, that we showed. More on this coming soon, but we did get to hear an all manner of sound and Siri tests, as well as some of the light f- uh, fondling. That's a thing. Oh, boy. Light fondling of the speakers. In, in terms of... That's not, what, that's, I'm reading it right I'm from the article. I'm pretty sure that's an audiophile or a term. Right? Is it? it oh, okay. No, okay. I'm joking. No, okay. well, I don't know. Not. It's in the article. They wouldn't be caught be dead saying that. <laughs> That's what's in the article. In terms of the Apple HomePod, it is so. Apple, in the way that you'll use it, like with the AirPods, you simply hold your phone near the unit, and the handset will send over your Apple ID. The Apple Music Preferences will enter the long-winded Wi-Fi passwords that you're too proud to remember, but thankfully, you won't have to type it in. Now, I've, I've been told by people that have seen this thing and the people who have played with it, and I did a little bit of research today before the show, that Apple has done a really good job at creating this expensive, mono, but decent enough sounding speaker. Now, the problem that I run into when I talk about this kind of stuff with people is that we always have to talk about audio with a plethora of addendum. So, well, it's good for a smart speaker. Well, it's good for streaming audio. Well, it's good for what it is. But the problem is that audio, particularly music, doesn't exist with an addendum. And I've spent years listening to various speakers, different amplifiers, different mediums, everything from vinyl to CDs to digital audio, lately DSD, and different layouts, different setups. How do you set these speakers up? Is the best thing in an isosceles triangle? Should you have the speakers a little bit higher? Should you have the speakers pointed out? Should you have the speakers pointed in? Should the subwoofer be in the center of the room, over to the corner of the room? All of those things affect the sound. And so when I hit 2018, I, I get to a point where I'm like, Yes, I do want multi-room audio, and yes, I do want to get my music online and not from optical discs, and yes, I want to be able to control it from anywhere in the house, but no, I don't want it to be cloud-based. No, I don't want it to be streamed over Bluetooth. No, I don't want to be owned by a company. And what I was really looking for was an open-source hardware device that could run 24 hours a day, seven days a week, playing audio from an audio library that I owned, my local media, or the ability to play from online streams or maybe even from local radio, just depending on what I wanted to listen to. Local would be nice. I want that audio to be everywhere in my house, and I wanted it to be zoned so that if I went from one room to another, I could independently control per room what I wanted to listen to yeah. and how loud I wanted it to be. Yeah, everyone's, everyone's like, yeah, right. yeah, that sounds I great. That like, I just, everyone looked up from the laptop. I was I'm like, yes, tell us more. <laughs> uh, but so, And I didn't want to spend a lot of money. I didn't want to have to let Google spy on me to get it. I didn't want to be marketed to by Amazon. And the past few weeks, I finally found a solution to what I was searching for. In fact, uh, I'm so excited that we actually made a video review of it because it's just better if you can see it. Now, to understand what it takes to do this show every week, it often means that I find myself finding something kind of cool and I have to make an episode out of it. And maybe I end up using it personally or maybe that was just what I used for the show that week and then, then it goes by the wayside. But to a certain degree, showing that technology off is part of my job. But sometimes, like this week, when I find a project that I realize I can't live without, and this week this project is Volumio, which, by the way, that takes a little bit to say, like after you, after you kind of read it a couple of times, it's like they just end, they, they put volume and then added an IO at the end of it. So how is it, what is it again? Vol, I think it's Volumio. Okay. Yeah. But, and so, and, but if you had said it first, whatever that was would have been wrong. Volumio? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Volumio is an open-source web-based music server that runs on x86 Raspberry Pi. If you go over to their website, which we'll have linked in the show notes, many other architectures. And what's fantastic about Volumio is, by default, it's completely local. You can even store music on the Pi itself. And for me, I tied it to my NAS. Now, now just to be clear... 
I wanted to be able to listen to my music in my bathroom. And so when I first had a set out, I was like, well, I have this little device that's inside of the wall that I can pair my phone to with Bluetooth, and then I can send audio over it that way. And, uh, and what happened was it just snowballed into this really complicated beast. So in my basement, down in my network operations center, which my wife sometimes mistakenly calls the laundry room just because I let her put her washer and dryer in there, she installed this, uh, I installed this two-channel two, uh, two channel amplifier, and I connected a Raspberry Pi, first generation, a Raspberry Pi, running the Volumio software with a Behringer UCA202. And the, if you're not familiar with the 2CA, or UCA202, and I, I'll just take a minute to say, yes, the, the 202 is an unbalanced device, device so it's, it's a pain uh, because you get a little bit of interference. But it's, for 20 bucks. it's a USB DAC that does 192 kilohertz audio. Mm. It's a really good deal. Well, you, you, you have a couple of them, that mm. little, those little red deals with mm-hmm. the RCA, yeah. It works really, really well, particularly in this situation where the run is only like, you know, maybe six inches. Mm-hmm. So from that two-channel amplifier that's pulling in the Volumio audio, it's then going to a four-conductor connection block that I've run 14-gauge four-conductor wire to. And that wa- those wires then independently run to a bunch of different volume controls all over the house. Now, the advantage to that is when I'm in my bathroom, I have a specific set of needs. I need a waterproof speaker that's mounted into the ceiling, a stereo uh, waterproof speaker because I don't have the ceiling space to put two full speakers. I need one speaker that has both left and right channels. Uh, and of course, I need to be able to turn the volume up really, really loud because the shower's running. When I finish my shower, I want to walk into my bedroom and start getting dressed. Now, that speaker doesn't have to be nearly as loud as the speaker that was on in the bathroom. And I also don't want cords hanging all over the place. And I don't really want, you know, speaker stands sitting all over my bedroom. So it's really nice to have two high quality stereo speakers inside of the ceiling. And then, once I'm done getting dressed, I can walk out of my bedroom, down the hallway, into the entryway or the living room, and I can have some really good, high-quality, high-end speakers like Sunfire Ribbons, CRM2s that Bob Carver made, <clears throat> you know, or, and I can have them perfectly set up in an isosceles triangle on stands at ear level, that, the whole nine yards. And to even come close to doing that with any of these smart speakers would mean that I'd have to have, first of all, I'd have to have some way to sync all of them, which does exist, and I, I've seen it done on the Google Home thing. Um, But then I'd have to have these little boxes sitting all over the place, uh, which, A, I've yet to see one that sounds as good as an actual high-fidelity set of speakers, but I'd also have to have power to each one of these devices, or I would have to charge all of these devices up. Mm. And if I did all of that, I might have a system that sounds 60% as good, except it would easily cost me 10 times the price. I think the Apple HomePod is like 350 mm-hmm. bucks or something. So mm-hmm. that's like $700 just for a set of... Th- I think all of like the, like the Sonos 5, oh, Google yeah. Max are all sure. uh, yeah, yeah, they're all in the same. Yeah, there's not, not one that's better than the other. But um, the advantage of Volumio is it the way I look at it is it has fundamentally become a part of the house. So now it's accessible from my phone. It's accessible from a web browser. But because it's part of the house, it sits st- strategically connected... It, it, you know, statically mounted to the wall with a wired audio interface with a, that supports 192 kilohertz of bitrate with a wired Ethernet cord. And I, again, I'm so excited about Vol- Volumio. If you want more information, make sure to check the, the website, the Volumio website out. They have downloads for literally every platform you could ever imagine. And uh, I, 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 I got myself so excited that even though I was on my way out here to cover the Ubuntu sprint i stopped and we shot some a really short review on what volumio can do because the the thing is you can't really get a good feel of how amazing this product is until you actually see it in action for yourself so we filmed a short review of volumio and we demonstrated it in action you can check that out at asknoahshow.com click on the video section Hmm. as well as we'll have a link for you in the show notes and new this week starting this week all of the links that i talk about will also be available in your podcast app so swipe right I'm sorry, swipe left so you'll get to the right screen on Android and Pocket Casts. And I'm sure there's a similar way to do it in iOS. And uh, listed below will be all of the links that we have here in the show notes. Again, open phones this hour, one 450 noaa That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Again, we're live from the Ubuntu Sprint Hey-o. in Seattle, Washington. And uh, I just realized that uh, we're in restricted casting, but I'm going to jump on to... Uh, Did you mention, the by the way, that this thing runs, this vol- Volumio runs on a Raspberry Pi? Did you say that? Yeah. In fact, that's I'm running it on a first-generation yeah. Raspberry Pi. Oh, nice. And it's solid. I actually... So I bought the third-generation Raspberry Pi because I didn't think the 
first generation Raspberry Pi was going to have enough, enough power to, yeah, to process right. this thing, right? Yeah. Especially if you're streaming audio, because not only does it do local audio, but you can add streams. So I added like the Jupiter Broadcasting stream. Oh, nice. I asked it. I added mixes it right into the Asnoa stream. Yeah, and then what it, what you can do is then you pick that radio station. It shows up as a my web radio station. You, you click that radio station, and then it streams it. And then I was able to go out to our local uh, radio stations, and they're all streaming online. And I was able to pull that off. And actually, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to add this too because this is this is something that's really great about uh, the way we're doing uh, uh, these show notes in the. Um in the po- in the in the podcast player, there's a there's a really great tutorial that I'm going to have. It won't be available in the show notes, but it will be available in in the podcast app. So that's a that's the incentive to go check that out. It's a video on how to extract the stream URL from TuneIn.com. So if you have a station nice. like my local radio station, they don't tell you what they're streaming to, um, but you can use the you can you can right click on the. Uh, Right click on the, the, the play button and click inspect element, go over to the network tab and and right listed in there it will tell you this is the this is the stream URL, it's the thing that's using the most data. So I'll have a link to that video in the po- in the in the uh, podcast player app only. So make sure to check that out when uh, when you download the show. Again, phone lines one eight five five four five zero Noah, that's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. So I want to jump back into the mumble room for a little bit. Hey Mumble Room, how's it going? How's it going? So you guys stuck around for the Ask Noah show, huh? Yeah, definitely. Yep. That's awesome. For once, that's possible for time. Yeah, right? So uh, I I have to ask, have any of you even heard of uh, Volumio or better yet, even played with it? I heard of it through uh, texting by Patrick Norton, so. Okay. I didn't hear about it yet, but that's actually pretty cool. I'm looking looking at it. Yeah, it is. It's quite a good useful default distribution for uh, Raspberry Pi. Is it comes as a mm-hmm. you know, pre-made image and everything, so that's very nice. They're also mm. working on Google yeah, Home the... integration. Oh, really? That's hilarious. Nice. Did you listen to my whole setup? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? This is supposed to be the anti-Google Home. Although, really, that why not? That just extends it even further, right? Because that's just well, another. I mean, if you already have one, you'd want yeah. to tie it in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, cool. I read I read an article saying that they were going to use it to just control it, not uh, not have Google not have Google talk back. I don't think, but just to control. Nice. And you like music, I can I can tell. The nice thing about this too cool. is that uh, it depends on what you're connected to, I suppose. But uh, you're, a lot of these solutions, like how do I stream my FLAC files? This does that. Uh, does it support Spotify? Yes. Will it support AirPlay? Yes. Does it do universal plug and play and DLNA? So it really snaps in. And the other thing that makes it really I know, nice, I'm you fixing don't have it. To be an expert. When you when you load this thing up on a Raspberry Pi, it works with like quote unquote Bonjour or Avahi DNS and it broadcasts itself to your network. So you mm-hmm. can just put in like I forget it's like volumeo.local or whatever mm-hmm. and it will resolve because it's using nice. broadcast DNS which is nice for those kinds of things. Yeah, and I actually created a custom DNS for that. Uh well mostly because, you know, the thing is I you know, here's how I know a technology really is good and it's it, and it's I, I, again, I feel like I'm talking about this all weekend, but there's there's different levels of technology. There's the technology that I think is good because it's a good piece of open source technology and it's usable for me or it could replace something, you know, there's that level. But then there's this entire other level of just like, it's just good. Like, it doesn't matter what metric you stack it up to. It just really works good. And where I personally get that metric from is my wife because she doesn't have the same ideals as I do, right? Like, so, so when I go into something and I say, isn't this really cool? Yeah. Uh, she looks at it and she's like, well, I don't know. Does it work as well as, as yeah, I, I think right. it should? Or, and if she, she just won't use it. She won't complain. She yeah. just won't use it. And how I knew Volumio was really, really on to something is we, uh, the, the next morning we got up and she, she sat down and I showed her how it worked and stuff. And so she pulls her phone out and she's like, you're telling me I can just click on this song, boop, and it plays in the bathroom. <laughs> and it plays the And she, awesome. I'm kind of watching the, the clocks turn, right? Yeah. And then as we go on a little bit further, then she starts telling me, well, could I make my own playlist? Well, sure, honey, you can make your own playlist. Oh, great. So she starts dragging songs into her playlist. And then she has a playlist. She goes, well, I need more music. We're running out of music. So I said, well, you know, the, thing, the nice thing about owning Ultraspeed Technologies, which, you know, we have a media division, we do DJ events, is... <laughs> we buy lots of music. So you, music, we got right. thousands of songs you can go pick from. So she looks and she goes, yeah, you don't have the kind I want. You know, so we'll buy them on the account. That's fine. You can nice. buy, them on, buy them on work, honey. No, no price too high. We spent $150 in music. <laughs> like, oh. We downloaded a lot of songs from Amazon. <laughs> um, and so, and so and, but she made a playlist and now every single morning, like I have to fight her to use the system. In fact, 
the amplifier that I bought supports two zones. So I could actually have two Volumio players, and we could choose. Oh, like fancy. I could say, yes, yeah, so I go in the bathroom, and I could say, I want to I want to listen to zone one or zone two. In fact, they have this right here, this this thing right here. So I can choose in music. The, we're in the hotel room. And yeah. We're in the ballroom. So yeah. they have music one, music two, music three, music yeah. four. I it's could like an this. LCD screen up on the wall. Yeah. I could do the same thing in my house. I'm right. considering doing this because I, I need my own Volumio You know box. what you ought to do? This is, this is Chris's uh, pr- parenting tip. Uh, you integrate this thing throughout your house. You put speakers everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's and done. Then, and then you upload custom MP3 files of you like, come on, come to dinner. Go there. <laughs> Knock it off. Get and then you just school. trigger that throughout so, the house. I haven't done custom MP3s of yelling at, at the kids, <laughs> but here's, here's what I did do. I downloaded a two-hour audio f- recording f- from freesound.org, oh. which we were talking about. It's a really great site. Yeah. Of ocean waves. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then what I did was I dropped it into Volumio and told it the volume should always be 40% of whatever the, the, the jam and music is, right? And so when I go to bed at night, I, I took – oh, another feature too. So when I go to bed at night, I drop this – I start this, uh, this audio file. It starts playing. It's really great. The other feature that Volumio do, does, and I didn't write it down here on the show, and I, it's not in the video review, but it's really cool, and I've used it every day. It has an alarm function. Oh, nice. Oh. So I can tell it at 7 in the morning, I want you to play this particular playlist. And since I was like 13 years old, I, I used to wake up, but uh, maybe even younger than that, I used to wake up to Morning Edition. And anyone that lis- has ever heard, listened to NPR knows exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I think 80% of alarm clocks in America wake up to Morning Edition's theme song. And so I went and downloaded that and threw it on my Volumio and set that as my alarm. So in the morning, at 90% volume, that's what wakes me up. And it's, it's been really fantastic. Nice. Yeah. That's Fo- a really good tip. Phone lines, if you want to join the conversation, one eight five five four five zero 450 noah That's 855 624, the email, live at asknoahshow.com. Redhat.com headline, Red Hat acquires core OS. The world's leading provider of open source solutions today announced that it had signed a definitive agreement to acquire core OS incorporated, an innovator and leader of Kubernetes and container native solutions for a purchase price of $250 million, with an M dollars, subject to certain adjustments at wow. closing. That's not expected to be material. That is a remarkable deal. When Instagram goes for a billion dollars and CoreOS goes for 200 mil, that tells you something's off. 250 mil is a quarter million dollars. That's infrastructure. I mean, CoreOS is providing container infrastructure that Red Hat will make millions of for the next 15 years. Right. And they got it for $200 million. And Facebook buys Instagram for a bill? That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it really goes to show something, too, when you start thinking about the... The level of the way that Instagram has changed the world and the level of way that CoreOS could potentially change yeah, the world. And just you know? containerization has changed the data center. Oh, right. It's, Absolutely. And oh. that's what they're, they're at the center of that. And they're, they're, the leading, they're, some, they're leading some of the areas. I mean, obviously, Docker is a huge player, too. But they're, mm-hmm. I mean, CoreOS, the people behind CoreOS, I've talked to them. Yeah. They are really smart. I've done interviews with them. Mm-hmm. They are really forward-looking. And they're truly like... Uh, Distro agnostic kind of approach yeah. to the tools. Like they really worked to bake some of the stuff they've worked. They could have kept it to CoreOS, uh-huh. and like etcd has has branched out beside beyond CoreOS and a lot of the other things that they're doing. And Red Hat, I mean, Red Hat just got one of the best deals of 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 their life. Oh yeah, I think. yeah, and I think it's good for CoreOS too. And, and so this is, I'll tell you why I think this is a fantastic win for 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 everyone involved at CoreOS as well. It enforces a fundamental belief that I've had for some time, and that is that. We have heard over and over and over again every time we talk to somebody from Red Hat that they find people in the community doing really cool things and then they give them money to keep doing those things. And we've heard that from the folks at Free IPA. We heard the same story from the Fedora folks. And I'll bet you dollars to donuts if we talk to the folks at CoreOS and ask them what has changed in their daily workflow you know, in a couple of years. They'll say, well, it's easier to make payroll and uh, we all eat better and have nicer houses. But the auto- we still have autonomy over the project, and we st- our, our original goals are there, and our original vision is there, and that's the way that Red Hat participates in the community. I think that's really to be respected. And from the Red Hat side, like you said, I think that basically anyone that has existed in the enterprise understands the true value of CoreOS and understands the benefit and what they bring to, to, to Red Hat. Now, what's funny about your comparison to Instagram – uh, to this is, I th- I would say there's a very high likelihood that Instagram will end up running on CoreOS. You know, there's a chance that that happens. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah, or at least some of their technology. So it, it, it's a really cool story. And and having been to Red Hat and talked to these folks, I know how they operate. And, and you know, I get people too. They'll, they'll ask me. They'll say. How do I get employment at Red Hat? What does Red Hat look like? And so when we went to Red Hat, and I actually got a chance to interview a lot of the people that make those decisions, and I asked every one of them the same question. I said, what do you look for if somebody wants a job at Red Hat? What do you look for? And the answer that they gave me every single time was 
participate in the community. Go to the, don't come to me and hand me your resume and say, this is all of the things I have done. Show it on your GitHub page. Go contribute to some projects. Go find some projects that matter that you care about. Contribute to them. Show us what you can do. And if we like that, we'll hire you and we'll just give you money to keep doing the same things you're already doing. And that goes back to what I was talking about a couple weeks ago. Uh, And you and I kind of had this conversation, not in these words, but we were talking about this earlier today. It's so much easier to find a thoroughbred running horse and just kind of redirect them the way you want them to go than it is to try to find this donkey and get them up to run. And so when you can do that as Red Hat as a company, um, you know, that, and so they, they, that's what they're doing with CoreOS. They found a really successful product, project that is, that is working really, really well for, the, working well for CoreOS. And Red Hat says, you know, we can make a lot of money off of that. I agree. And I think, too, it's great for CoreOS because it's not like they were really uh, breaking Docker's hold on the market and on, on Mindshare. Right. They were a little bit niche, even if very well regarded in the community. Right. So they were sort of struggling to gain further adoption, although it, things had been lining up for them. But now with Red Hat coming on board, like it's good for them too. The struggle sort of subsides because there's a built-in path to success as part of the whole Red Hat suite. One question I do see being discussed a lot in the wake of this, and obviously it's still early days, is what's actually going to happen to Container Linux? Um, some of the release notes here say that you know, RHEL will remain Red Hat's real only commercial Linux offering. So, mm-hmm. you know, are, the, are we just going to see some integrations and better tooling on the Project Atomic side? Right. Or, like, will these projects really con- continue wholesale? Or do we see some things being tried in Fedora down the road? Right. Some of these tools getting integrated. In, right. Some of the release models. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, then, and then when do we see that stuff landing in RHEL and CentOS? Exactly. That's going to be really interesting. I'll, I'll, we'll be excited to... To, to watch as this continues. And the thing is, this story broke just a couple of hours ago. And so at the Us Noah Show, we're going to continue to follow this story. and We'll bring you perfectly presented analysis after hours of meticulous research as the story continues. Again, phone lines are open, 855 450 noah 855-450-6624, uh, the email, live at com. Tom's headline, here comes the silicon patch. Uh, earlier, Kurnadzikst, uh, how do, how do you pronounce this? I'm glad last I'm name? not saying that. Yeah, CEO Brian from Intel said that the company would begin to ship products within silicon fixes for the vulnerabilities later this year. He did not elaborate, but logistically, this means that the company will include fixes for the 10 nm, 10 nm generation of products. That's a big assumption to make. Yeah, well, I, I think what I, I, you know, and the article goes on to, I'll have the link in the show notes and you guys can, can, can read the rest of it. You've got to wonder, would this Intel CEO even be saying this if Linus hadn't blown up last week at them? I think that's a big part of it. I think that I think Linus, I think Linus's uh, response to that is a big part of that. But I also think that Intel was, I think that as software vendor, we talked, to, we talked about a story last week on the Ask Nova show where uh, Red Hat was catching a lot of bad PR for some of the fixes that they told their customers to go to Intel to get. And that's because they wanted those customers to go get that, that, those patches from Intel. And Intel passed that off as, well, they're just kicking the, they're just kicking the can back to us because they don't actually want to fix it. And I think that Intel figured out pretty quickly, we have to fix this in hardware. We have to ship useful products. And the answer I had gotten, and it wasn't from an Intel representative, but it was somebody who has worked very close with them, the answer that he was given was it would be another three generations of Intel processors before they were going to try and patch this in hardware. Mm-hmm. And, wow. the, and the, extra, the extra sort of uh, stink <coughs> on that spin is, and what Linus called them out for was, in the meantime, Intel's marketing strategy was to spin the fixes as performance optional features. <laughs> so you have the option yeah. to mitigate Spectre right. if yeah. you'd like. Yeah. If you'd like to turn that on, you can. Yeah. You weird slow security freaks right. out there. There will be a new feature in the microcode that will enable that flag in the silicon if you want. But, uh, but because we're not turning it on by default, that's a feature. And that's where Linus really sort of blew up. Yeah, well, you, you can understand that, right? So you, I wouldn't say they quickly came to this conclusion they're at Yeah, now. well, quickly I mean, is in quick, within quick, seven days from getting called <laughs> out. Okay, yeah. fair, yeah. But yeah, no, they. Uh, you, I mean, you know, you can dress a turd up; it's still a turd, right? Yeah. I, this year, though, if they could get the silicon fixed this year, that would be a that would require a fundamental restructuring of their pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. But if they if they actually get it out, again, phone lines eight five five four five zero Noah eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow dot com. Lyle joins us from Georgia. Hey, Lyle, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. This is Lyle. I met you at South. Uh, I don't remember. Time just Actually, I do. Before. I I do. We oh. stood out in the hall. We, we stood out in the hallway, uh, right, yeah, right out front of the right out front of the booth and talk. Yeah, you were very busy. Yeah, we were very busy. <laughs> well, love the show. 
uh, I got two quick questions. One, can you go over XORG and Wayland? I don't quite. It's all Linux distributions use one or the other. Also, mm-hmm. what Cat5 cable is the easiest to work with? What brand? I'm a ham radio, and gotcha. building cable's really good for ham radio. And that's pretty much it. Sure, sure. Well, Lyle, let's start with your Xorg and Wayland question because I've got Chris and uh, and uh, Wes here to help me. Essentially, the Linux was designed at a time when we only had basically text-based operating systems. And so once we got to the point where we wanted to start doing graphics and stuff, we had to develop a system to make that work. And the neat thing about X is, and what I've always liked about X, is that it runs in two forms. It runs in the client side and the server side. And you don't always know that when you're on your laptop or on your, on your desktop because it just, it just looks like a desktop to you. But one of the neat things that you can do, and those of us that work in the system administration, which would be everyone here at this table, yeah. have done at one time or another, is you can disconnect the front side client of the X system and connect it to the back end system of a computer that sits across the world. And so in English, what that means is I can run a local Firefox instance on a computer that's sitting in China if I want to. Uh, and that provides for some really unique and useful administration tools. Yeah. The problem with X is because it was designed so many years ago and it has so many weird problems, if you're watching an interesting video or have some interesting audio playing, and you close your laptop, and the laptop goes to, to sleep, and you wake it back up, and you get to that logon screen, and you try to hit the mute button, and nothing works. Or you get a flash of what's coming on the screen, because that, you know, which, which was, was considered a security flaw from the Mac side. All of these things happen uh, because X is old and wasn't really designed for the job that, we're, that we wanted to do. Right, right. modern desktops that didn't exist in that form, so yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have those features. Yeah, and you see that. You see that as an end user, you see that in the form of screen tearing, or if you if you set up a high DPI screen and it's connected to a laptop that has a mm-hmm. lower mm-hmm. DPI screen, sure. you just get the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of lots and lots of differences between X and Wayland because they're completely architected differently. Um, but the probably the biggest thing between X mm-hmm. and Wayland is Wayland itself doesn't do any drawing on your screen. Right. And X has two main drawing APIs, one that we don't use at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Ironically, it's the core X11 protocol, which right. yeah. <laughs> we don't use anymore. <laughs> no. And then, and then the other one is XRender, or a, a XRender is actually how you say it out loud, not when I read it in my head. And uh, it's an extension which has sort of been built on top of X, mm-hmm. and it provides modern compositing and gradients and graphics calls. Uh, that's how, like, Cairo on GNOME will draw uh, some of their, like, uh, like when you're looking at GNOME system performance and you see mm-hmm. the lines. That's using XRender, which is Cairo sitting on uh, top of XRender, which is sitting on top of GTK, which is sitting on top of the GNOME shell. Right. So we're three or four layers deep, and all of these things have to communicate with each other in perfect timing. And when they don't, you, th- you see things like tearing. Wayland, how- however, has no drawing APIs. It's just a client. It has a DRM buffer. And then you build something that does the drawing and talks to it. And it communicates in that protocol. Wayland supports multiple DPI monitors. Mm-hmm. Wayland is tear-free. It has a much better security architecture. It's designed with security in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also, and, and because of that, it's much less featureful. It's much less complex. Right. And so it's on the onus of the desktop projects to make that gap up a little bit. And Wayland doesn't, you, you touched on this, Wayland doesn't include a compositor. So you're using something like KWIN or Mutter to actually draw the, the elements on the desktop. And, and Lyle, I don't want to, I hope I'm not talking over your head. So essentially, you know, if you have a, a, if you have a program like <laughs> Skype, yeah. If you, so let's 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 just let's let's uh, let's take it back a little bit. So let's say you have a program like Gedit, like you have just a text editor, right? The computer knows the the display server knows that I have to have a application. I have to I have to have a window, and the window is this many pixels wide by this many pixels deep, and it has to talk to to this uh, run this mathematical code to when the user does this input and all that stuff, right? But something actually has to draw the, a gray box on the screen and put a little white line that flat, that turns on and off to indicate the cursor and stuff like that. So those two parts, one is the display server, the thing that's actually doing all the calculations, the back end, the work, and then you've got the compositor, which is actually drawing all, all of the stuff on the it's screen. It's like a projector in a way. It's yeah, a projector. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. So, and so the most simple answer to your question is Xorg and Wayland are display servers. They're the things that are responsible for the graphical interface on your computer. 
Xorg is a very old one. It works very, very well, but there are some systemic problems with it, and so we have to migrate to something newer. Wayland is the is the is the competitor, I guess you could say, the evolution, the the next thing that we are going to go replacement. to the replacement after we get done yeah. with Xorg. And its core question is: is ever is is are they running the same Xorg and the same Wayland? Essentially, with some minor protocol protocol differences, mm-hmm. version differences, you're either getting Xorg or Wayland. Right. And now, most modern distributions, Ubuntu, Fedora, others, mm-hmm. are shipping both of them installed. Right. And at the login screen, you can drop a box down and choose which one you want, and just mm-hmm. see which works better on your system. And right. if one doesn't work as well, you switch to the other one until we make this transition. And for your second question, Lyle, well, which brand of Cat Five do we use? We order all of our cable. Doesn't matter what it is. All of our cable comes from a company called Belden. And the reason is, is because, well, one, the reps at Belden are just amazing to work with. But the other reason is, is because you just can't find better cable. Belden, have, they have research labs, and they literally sit there and, and will take a stretch of cable and, and, and try various different things to it to see how it tolerates being crushed, how it tolerates being rolled over, how it tolerates heat, how it tolerates cold, how it tolerates being inside of a ceiling. All of that stuff is tested. They publish all of those specifications. They tell you exactly how long you can run it, then they tell you how long you should run it. Uh, it just they're fant- I can't say enough good things about Belden, and we buy t- I mean, we spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, one thing I will tell you, don't buy Cat5. Hmm. Don't, don't buy yeah. Cat5. In, in 2018, the price difference between Cat5 and Cat6 is so minuscule. Buy Cat6. Yeah, just for the future proofing alone. So thanks, Lyle, for the, for, the, for the call. We really appreciate it. 855-450-NOAA, 855-450-6624. We've got just a couple of minutes left. Uh, I'm going to go to Chris in Canada. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hi, Noah. Good to talk to you again. Um, Same, sir. How can I help? So I, well, I have uh, a slight problem with my, uh, with my booting setup on my PC. I've got three SSDs in there, one that's a Windows 10, one that's running Ubuntu Mate, and one that's running Solus. And I had noticed that my Solus was doing its updates, but it wasn't getting the newest kernel. So I was trying to use Grub Customizer to um, pull in the right information. But now I have entries all over the place that I can't seem to get rid of, and it won't <laughs> oh, seem yeah. to detect which, which drive has actually got the bootloader on it, even though I know which one it's supposed to be. You don't know how funny this question is. I, what, I, 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 I landed in Seattle, in SeaTac. I get in my rental car. I drive to JB1. I'm literally standing in the studio. I bet I wasn't there for 45 seconds. And Chris handed me a laptop with this exact same problem. This exact same yeah, problem. I was done. I'm like, I got to move on. Um, I'll tell you where I left off before I didn't solve the problem. <laughs> uh, the, I did okay. get to work inside of the bio. Inside of the BIOS, if you have a UEFI install, you can you can tell the UEFI interface that there's a window. You can specify. You can add a UEFI entry, click browse, and choose the UEFI loader from Windows and the UEFI loader for Linux, and that will work. So then, but the problem with that is every time you boot your computer, you got to hit F12 and then choose the, the whatever operating system you want to use. So that's not a really ideal solution, but it does work. The second thing you can do, and this is where I left off troubleshooting, you can add an entry to Grub, and but the the problem is the entry actually has to be for the Windows uh, Boot Manager, and so you have to add Grub has to point to the Windows Boot Manager, and then the Windows Boot Manager has to actually boot. And if you update Windows, the Windows Boot Manager rewrites the master boot record, and then you have to do this whole process over again. So the pro, the por, the uh. post I was reading is manually boot into Windows, and then there is just a single command that you can add Linux to the Windows Boot Manager. Yeah, and I don't really like that oh, plan. Okay. And if you can avoid, well, the problem is then you're trusting yeah. Windows to boot your Linux thing. It does a... work pretty reliable. Does in it? My experience? Okay, yeah, I all know right. There's a couple systems that have booted that way, but mm. you're right. It's it does feel gross. You know, uh, if you want some some commands to look at, just so mm-hmm. you have an idea how to do all this. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. The ArchWiki has a section specifically <laughs> on this. Exactly okay. on this. Yeah. Well, uh, send that to me, and, okay. and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Joel is calling from Telegram. Hey, Joel, how's it going? How's it going, Noah? How's it going, Chris? And how's it going, Wes? Great. Cool to take a telegram call. Yeah, I know. That is nice, yeah. How can we help? So uh, I'm sort of curious about uh, how to convince people to get from uh, from uh, platforms that are um, commonly used among a lot of people. And I do think the reason why a lot of um, st- people adopt certain platforms is due to certain applications such as uh, iMessage, if that makes any sense, because a lot of people, mm-hmm. like, for example, in my community, as far as I'm aware, it's an Apple-centric 
a lot of my fellow classmates from middle school onwards were using iPhones due to other people being on iMessage, and I, you can't get iMessage on an Android phone. And if even, and right. even though I personally chose to, it, it's like a subset of a culture or something. And how do you? Convince so people true. to go outside yeah. of that uh, their box and go into alternatives. You could also see this with the Skype uh, problem as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll, I, I, in answering this question, I'm, unfortunately, I'm going to have to give away a little bit of my magic sauce. Now, now this, now this whole, uh, now this whole uh, process is going to be less effective. But the, the truth of the matter is, Joel, that process starts the moment I meet somebody. The moment I meet somebody. I am, I am, I, I, you know, I start giving them, dropping little hints to get onto Telegram, to use things like Thunderbird, yeah. to use things like web-based applications. And the reason for that is, is because when you eventually come down to trying to switch, if they're already using those things, it makes it really easy for them to switch. Yeah, I, I had this problem with my family on iMessage. Oh, sure. They, everybody wanted the blue bubbles, and they wanted yeah. to, be able to send pictures, and they want to be able to do iMessage group chats. Right. And uh, it, I got the majority of them, not all of them, but I got a bulk of them over to Telegram. Simply because I I honed in on what it was that they needed for messaging. Oh sure. And like I'll give you an example. What they hate about iMessage is it takes a week and a day to send a picture in iMessage. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't okay. know what yeah. the iPhone's doing apparently, but it just takes forever to send. Mm-hmm. But Telegram whips that thing out in instant. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started showing them that. I'm like, look how fast this goes. Look at this group thing. How we can do this video really mm-hmm. easily. And it works with uh, Uncle Joe's Android phone too. So, right. You know that's nice. Mm-hmm. And um, that won them over because you got an Android, you got an iPhone. You got it on the desktop. Right. So some Even of them if you want- don't have a Mac, you have it right on the desktop. Right. Some of them want it on the desktop because they work at home and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what I started doing was honing in what they needed and saying, well, you could use it for this. And sometimes that's not always an option, but that, that generally succeeds if you can make the case. So going back to your question, Joel, one, 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 that's, that's how you start getting people. That's how you start. That's where that train really starts. And then once you get to the, the point, then you start selling them on the benefits of Linux, the benefits of open source, stuff like that. And because if you've done your job right, they're already using all of these applications that are compatible with Linux. It's a pretty easy slip. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I sort of do see this uh, platform stuck uh, a little bit with uh, regards to podcasting and having to use uh, Skype in certain instances because everybody has a Microsoft mm. account, but nobody, not everybody mm-hmm. has a Mumble account or per se. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, one of the things that we've done at Ask Noah is we've got we've done way both Mumble Landscape, and we've gone to just a web-based solution that people just visit a web page and then they can connect into our studio, and uh, and that has worked really well for us. And a large portion part of that is I want to be operating system agnostic. I don't want to be tied to one particular operating system. Yeah. If you guys aren't aware, we're doing what we're calling the Distro Elimination Challenge. The Distro Elimination Challenge is where we are trying to pick the best distribution for a given task. Now, when we ask what the best distribution is, it doesn't necessarily have to be the distro that you would use. It just has to be which one would you use if given those two choices. So, for example, last week we asked you about elementary OS and Gentoo. So if you had to pick an operating system for your desktop and your only two choices in the world were elementary OS and Gentoo, which one would you pick? 78% of you said elementary OS. Only 21% of you said Gentoo. And to be honest, that's not a huge surprise to me. But uh, this week, we are doing... This is good. This week, we are doing Canonical's Ubuntu Mate, headed by uh, Wimpy, who is here at the conference, and one of my personal favorite distros. And the competition is... Pop underscore OS exclamation mark. So which of those two operating systems would you use... Ubuntu Mate or pop underscore OS exclamation mark. We'd be interested to see. You can cast your vote at asknoahshow.com slash elimination. Now, we're about to enter round two of the Ask Noah Show Elimination Challenge, and when that happens, we're going to take the winners of round one, and we're going to start pitting them against uh, the other winners in round one. And so I think it's going to get a lot more intense, and it's going to be really interesting. When all of this is done, what we're going to do is take all of this information, and we're going to put this up on our uh, a website, a, sp- a specific website, which, God, I keep seeing updates on this thing and the people that are working on it. We got a couple of people in the community that are doing this. This is really great. And I was talking with Chris and he gave me some ideas and I was like, I, he couldn't even finish a sentence and I was already in the group and I'm like, this is what we have to do. And they're like, that is a lot of work from an automation scraping standpoint. I'm like, I don't care. We got to find a way to do it. This is a really good idea. So, th- you know, we're, we're putting a lot of work into this, but I think what it's going to be is, uh, is the place that people go to say, this is what I want to do with the distribution. 
w- uh, which distribution should I use, whether that's a desktop or a laptop or whatever. Hey, w- uh, Chris, where can people find you? Thanks for thanks for joining me. Dude, you bet. How about at Chris LAS on the Twitter and follow the network at Jupiter Signal. There you go. Wes? I'm at Wes Payne, and make sure you go check out TechSnap at techsnap.systems. Hey, I like it. Thanks a lot for joining me this week. We really appreciate having you. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Uh, where's the rest of it? Ah, whatever. Have a good day, everyone. We'll see you next week at 6 p.m. Central. 